freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you on the internet. That really worked that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! Well, of course, the Mariners lost yesterday. It was a Wednesday, after all, and that's been their... Uh, M.O. all season long, losing on Wednesdays before we talk to Jerry on Thursday. But uh, we will do that coming up in a half hour. I, I want to react to some of what I heard from Ryan Divish in the previous hour. And Ryan, kind enough to join us at 7.30. Mariner beat writer from uh, the Seattle Times. And I don't just, I'm not going to take his, you know, opinions necessarily as fact because I don't think they're being presented that way. And I, and I love what Ryan has to say. But there's a couple things in there that are very disturbing, if true. And, and I don't know whether you guys heard the same things I did or react the same way I do. But one of the, the first thing that jumps out to me, right? We went through the guys that are having trouble this year. I'm with Ryan. Yes, I would still DFA Wong. I would DFA Pollock. I don't see the value in keeping them around. And I would just move on, maybe even just for change sake. But I agree, those are not the things that are going to change this team's fortune. The issues they've had at first base, third base, center field, catcher, and right field are significantly more important than the issues that they've had with Colton Wong and A.J. Pollock. Okay, fine. When I hear him say or suggest that Eugenio Suarez at his age maybe needs to be working harder on his body, that's a red flag for me. When I hear him say Ty France, who, by the way, is still in his 20s, needs to start working now on his body to do the right things so that he is where he needs to be over the next few years, that's a bit of a red flag for me. We hear about effort when it comes to baseball, and generally, you know, the assumption when you hear about effort is how hard are you trying in the batter's box, how hard do you go after a ground ball, like... Those things are relevant, but it's hard to just be a try-hard guy in baseball and succeed. It's not basketball. It's not football. It's not hockey. Effort alone on the field won't get it done. It just doesn't. But effort to combat aging, effort in the weight room, effort to stay in shape, it didn't used to matter, guys. 30 years ago, nobody was in shape. You just play baseball. No big deal. Guess what? Those days are gone. Big time. And I was on Felix Hernandez for it at the end of his career. I think he didn't do the things in his early 30s to make the next few years viable for himself. And it cost him. He was no longer the pitcher he used to be. And it's great. We can now go back and remember the glory years of Felix. But that was the problem. He didn't do the things working hard around the game, before they get all that stuff to make himself great in the games for a longer period of time. I'm hearing, now this is just, just from Ryan, I don't know any of this myself, and I'm not telling you it's true, but what I'm hearing from Ryan are red flags when it comes to how much work your corner infielders are doing to make sure that they're as prepared physically for their stage of life. Concerning. That's an issue. Right? Julio, to me, I, I, I was not more concerned by what Ryan said. I kind, of, I kind of think he's absolutely right on track there. 
Julio is, it's not a, there's no physical issue. And I don't think he's going to be a change his swing, change his stance, change his fundamentals kind of guy. More not after what he told us in the off in the spring training about trusting himself and kind of blocking out some of the voices. I don't buy that. Yeah. Well, and that, that was how he was raised. I remember reading in one of the many articles about him last year that his dad wouldn't even let anyone right. coach him to change his swing growing up. So I'm not worried about him going down the Ackley route or or the constantly changing your swing route or any of that. What we saw with with uh, with Kelnick the last couple of years, but he's got to figure out a better approach. He's got to figure out a way to take pitches that are outside and raise his on-base percentage. I think what Julio's trying to do is raise his slugging percentage. And I, and I think if Julio were to concentrate on raising his on-base percentage, the slugging would follow. Honestly. He's so freaking strong. He swings so hard naturally that if he, he doesn't need to focus on like his slugging percentage. see him try to... Take that turn. I don't. He needs to take more pitches. Yeah. He needs to see more pitches. He needs to take balls that are outside the zone and force the pitchers to come to him. And when that happens, he will be Julio again because he's otherworldly talented. And I honestly believe it will. I have zero doubt. Well, there's no such thing as zero, but I have very little doubt. He's got to do it. And maybe that won't be until next year. I liked what Ryan said about him learning what it takes to be good this year. That you don't just get to fall into it. That it takes effort to continue to rise the ranks and be better and better and be a superstar. Game came pretty easy to him last year after the first month when he got screwed by the umps. After that, he just kind of did his thing. Well, guess what? The league adjusts. Now you got to adjust. And and maybe he's not going to do that at, as quickly at his age. But by this offseason, that's got to be a huge part of what he does. Because they're banking on him to be a superstar, and he's not played like one this year. Will he again? Yeah, I absolutely think he will. He's got all the other ancillary factors, and I think he's perfectly capable of working hard. But he's going to have to figure out that approach. And that takes discipline. That takes effort. So, yeah, I I... I All of that leads back to a comment Ryan made that, you know, has been in the back of my mind here for the last month. And I've kind of brought it up a little bit, but I'm afraid to talk about it too much because it's such a such a potential for disaster. And that is what if some of the guys you've banked on aren't it? Right. I mean, you kind of banked on Ty France being your first baseman. If you're moving out Ty France and you're moving out, you know, uh, Eugenio Suarez after this year. And you're trading Paul Seawald at the deadline or some of the other things that have been out there. Well, all of a sudden, you you got a whole new team again. And I think Ryan's absolutely right that some of that DNA of the last few years, that grit that was built in and learned behavior over that time, they're gone. I, I think they did the right thing what when we've they seen lately is the opposite of grit. That's right. It's the opposite. It's what is the opposite? It's give up. They got a give up factor. That's what I've said a few times. Did they need to bring back Mitch Haniger? No, they couldn't. Certainly not for the money he got paid elsewhere, the injuries, lack of production. They couldn't bring back Mitch Haniger. But the Mitch Haniger personality was probably helpful. They couldn't bring back everyone. You know, they didn't need to bring back Adam Frazier. But he learned at some point last year, and you heard Divish say he was having so much fun winning that, that maybe that was, the guy came up with two of the biggest hits of the year. In the playoffs. 
they need more of it. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know where it comes from. And I think if you start to turn over too much of your roster, then you don't stand for anything, and then you're nothing. So I don't know what Jerry does next. I, I don't know what direction they go. I think you've got some real question marks if what Ryan is saying is true at first and third, in addition to what you've got going on in right field and second base and some of the other question mark spots. I don't know where Cal Raleigh kind of escapes conversation here because I think no one knows what to make of what he's done right now this year. Some moments of success, some moments where he's certainly taken a step back, and that's going to happen with a young switch hitting catcher, but you need him to, 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 to get going. That was what drove your team last year is when he turned himself into a great player instead of a bad one. Well, this year he's been somewhere in between. And unless he continues to show progress, well, that's a question mark position all of a sudden again, too. Those that that's the fear. That's the real like it's not whether or not the Mariners make the playoffs this year. Man, honestly, one year it stinks and it makes you mad. And but you get over it. As long as you're looking at it and saying, okay, I see what they're building. And I like a lot of what they built. And the pitching staff, you got to keep coming back to it, is, 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 is World Series worthy. But that's a lot of question marks you start to ask yourself about this offense. And it's not just, oh, did they need to go get one big bat? No, it's what about the guys that you banked on? Are they going to be part of it? Or if you get one guy, can they slot into a different role and everything works out? I don't know the answer to it. And I don't know that anybody does right now, but they've got a couple of weeks here, not even until the trade deadline. And they're going to have to know the answers to some of these questions because that's one of your windows to make moves to try to improve. Tough spot to be in. And they've kind of brought it on themselves. It's Mike Salk. Uh, no Brock today. He will uh, be back on Monday. Jerry Depoto will join me in 20 minutes after Need to Know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. From bad to worse, it seems to have gone for the Mariners. The first half was not good, but okay, fine. They put themselves in position. And unfortunately, the second half of this season has really gone the wrong direction. They've lost four of six at home in what was a crucial 10-game homestand. And they've done it with a bunch of blunders in addition to their normal problem scoring. Last night, it was a pass ball that really cost them after they tied it up in the eighth. All tied up in the eighth inning, the 1-1. It's high, and it gets out of the glove of Murphy. Here comes Kepler. He's on his way home, and he scores. It was a slider up, and Murphy could not put a squeeze on it. It trickles to the backstop, and the Twins take an eighth-inning lead. It's 4-3 to three Minnesota. Yeah, pretty brutal. Luis Castillo had pitched okay. I mean, he maybe wasn't his best, but struck out 11, gave up three runs in six innings. That's a quality start. They did get a game-tying home run from Gino Suarez after Tom Murphy had hit one, so it was tied at three. And then you give up one in the eighth, and then all of a sudden, Devin Sweet comes in and gives up two in the ninth, and they just don't seem to have that ability to get, you know, back into a game. And especially... Uh, you know, with the way this offense has gone this year, they've had some issues now all of a sudden pitching, specifically with all the lefties in this lineup for Minnesota. You know, their left-handed hitters uh, in this series have been really good. Uh, you know, coming in, certainly Julian, the second baseman, uh, is off to a really good start in his career. He's a tough out, doesn't chase, he's got enough power, um, you know, and, and Kepler's had a really good series as well, and those guys continue to hurt us. Yeah, they did. And uh, home run ball and everything else just sort of all gets to them. So you take a look at where you're at. 
You're 10 back at Texas. It was just a few days ago we were saying they were six back. Well, now it's 10. You're five and a half out of the wild card. You're two and four in the homestand, as I said. You play one more against Minnesota. Matinee game today, George Kirby and Pablo Lopez at 1240. And then Toronto comes in for a weekend series against some good competition. This is absolute must-have crunch time for this Mariner team. Here's the second thing you need to know. They did make some roster moves yesterday. I wonder if there will be more to come after the game today. The ones yesterday were more just sort of maintenance. Ty Adcock and Isaiah Campbell had both kind of had to pitch extra innings uh, after Brian Wu didn't have it on Tuesday. And so Campbell, I thought he actually pitched pretty well in his time in the big leagues. Maybe we'll see him again. As for Adcock, I don't know, man. I saw a decent fastball, but a lot of hard hit balls going the other way in their place. Prelander Baroa is finally up. Jerry DePoto has always liked the skills. It's, it's a huge arm. He's a, he's a devastating slider. He throws up to 100 miles an hour. And you know, our, our impression was we were probably going to spin our wheels with him as a starter because the command would just get in the way over a five, six, seven inning outing. And, you know, but asking him to go get three or six outs with that kind of stuff and just focus on the big strike zone rather than trying to be too fine with multiple different pitches could really accelerate his growth. Well, he's here. It took a little longer than maybe we expected. I think he'll be kind of a Matt Brash type with a lot of strikeouts and probably more walks than you would like to see. Devin Sweet, the other guy called up. Really good story. Went to uh, one of the HBCUs and you know, came up uh, undrafted and has really turned himself into a pretty good pitcher with a very good changeup. Didn't work out for him last night in his debut, but I'm sure we'll see a little bit more of him over the next few days. Here's the third thing you need to know. A quietish offseason, not overly active for the Kraken so far, but they have been taking care of the guys that they want to move forward with. That meant Ron Francis, their GM. Yesterday, it also meant Dave Haxtall, who did a pretty good year, uh, had a pretty good year in his second season. He explained to us the difference between years one and two. We felt like we were a little bit better than what our record showed in year one. But in some cases, maybe it's okay that we had to go through that. That's part of the building process. You, you learn a lot about the character of individuals and the character of your group. You know, as you go through the last 20 games of year one, those were, the, those were hard months. But guys stuck with it, and we saw a foundation. They did, and now they're trying to maintain that foundation. I would assume that we'll see a Vince Dunn deal get done at some point here in the next couple of weeks as well. Meanwhile, Open Championship underway. Round one action right now at Royal Liverpool. Leaders continue to be Tommy Fleetwood and Christian Lamprecht, who uh, went out fairly early today. They are both done at five under. Uh, You got a couple of names that are unfamiliar, and then Stuart Sink is there at three under. Wyndham Clark, three under. Ryan Harmon, the lefties three under and still on the course. Jordan Spieth was two under, so he's tied for seventh. And uh, that's about it in terms of uh, recognizable names at two under or better. That is everything you need to know. Do that quarter past every hour. Rory, by the way, is even through five or six holes, something like that. I'm just kind of watching out of the corner of my eye. I'm trying not to pay too close attention because otherwise it'll make it impossible. I saw Colin Morikawa was two over, former champion. So just uh, some of the some of the bigger names that you may be trying to follow this uh, this week at the Open. It's a cool looking course. They've got some weird like internal OB, which is strange. So like 
out of bounds, but like in the middle of the course. So I don't know entirely how that works. There's some crazy bunkers. Brady and I were just watching as Tony Finau got himself in one of the pot bunkers and he got himself up against the wall, had to putt in the bunker backwards just to give himself a clear shot to then get out of the bunker with a normal sand shot. So yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a nutty little course, but they're, uh, yeah, I mean, when, what your guy hasn't won a major since when? Well, since he won there, since he won the British, uh, since he won the open championship in 2017, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a few years, but Jordan's due. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to win one. He's finished second in like five majors since then. He just hasn't won okay. one. I was looking last night at the odds. I think Rory's the favorite. Yeah. 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 Rory and Rory's on a heater. He's, he's playing really well. Tommy Fleetwood's been playing well. Ricky Fowler's been playing well. He was one over today. Xander Shoffley is in it so far. He was one under today. Uh, Scotty Scheffler was one. So a lot of the guys that you would expect to be there are certainly within striking distance. Going to make for a pretty fun tournament this weekend. All right. Jerry DePoto, we've been waiting for this all morning. Uh, it'll be a challenging conversation, as they seem to be when the team is playing like this. Jerry usually handles it pretty well, and I would expect him to do that again today. We'll talk to him next. It's Brock and Salk on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Well, it's Thursday, and it is time for another Jerry DePoto show. We do this every Thursday at 8.30. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, guys. Just me today. Brock is uh, taking his final uh, days of vacation here before uh, before the uh, football season begins. But, you know, I, we've we've seen this team come out of the break and, and probably not what you were hoping for. How would you describe what we've seen since the All-Star break? Uh, you know, certainly not what we saw headed into the all-star break and, and, but in different ways, you know, I, since we came out of break, you know, we've, we've had a start and go offense, you know, there, there've been beginnings or, or nice days, but nothing consistent, which is kind of a repeat of most of our first half. And, you know, what's been a little unusual coming out of the break is that our pitching has wobbled and, you know, we, we just haven't really done the things that we do on the mound and, and that's led to, uh, you know, to a couple of, of hard-fought series, truly. I mean, we didn't play well against the Tigers, and, you know, Bryce came up with a good one on Sunday, and we, we salvaged the game. And, and now with the, the series with the Twins, we just, we just haven't given ourselves much of a chance. I thought Luis Castillo was, was very good last night. Yeah, one of the stuffier outings he's had as a Mariner. But by and large, you know, our, our pitching just hasn't put us in a position to win games as it usually does. Well, it also kind of feels like some of the mistakes have compounded on themselves at times. But where do some of the mistakes come from? You know, it's it, again, it's just something that when you're pressing, you do things that stand out as odd. And you know, I don't know what it is about this season or or why it has been this way with our team. But you know, we found a way. You know, in the previous two years, we found a way to do the clutch thing. And, and in these, these, you know, past few months, we just found a way not to do the clutch thing. And you know, I think getting thrown out twice at home plate in a six hit first inning the other night was a, uh, that's a tough one to swallow. You know, last night, you know, just whiffing a ball that's right there just above the strike zones, probably it's, it's, with the bases loaded is it, they're not things we normal normally do. And, and these are not players who are, all, all mistake prone. You know, there's some who are more likely to run into a mistake than another, but 
know, by and large, it's just something that has, has vexed this team all year long. You know, we found a way to do the thing that we can't do in, in order to, to win the game. And, and that's the way it's resulted. So what do you do in, in your job when you see that? What do you do? Like we've done all year long and like I think Scott has done, it's, it's trying to urge the group. I know in, in recent weeks he's he's tapped into don't try to be the hero in the batter's box. I, it's it's a very similar mentality across the rest of the game. It's it's just trying to stay within yourself and do what you do to affect the game. And you know you can't go out and hit a five run homer. You're not going to go out there and strike out six hitters in an inning. And it's 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 just staying within your game. And, and I think so many of our guys right now realize the, the urgency and, and our need to, to get on a roll that's beyond, you know, win for or lose for. This is, it's been a very back and forth season. And, and you know, it's very unusual. We've been doing this for a long, long time. And I, it's, we're 500 team. That's about as mediocre as, as you're going to be. And we've done it in a very 500 way. We never separate very much from the, the win to lose to type type scenario. And, and typically a team gains more traction in one way or the other. And we've, we've just not been able to find that. Are there buttons left to push? Well, I don't know is the, the answer, you know, right now we're, we're dealing with, we're a little banged up, you know, the short starts coming out of the break has put some stress on our bullpen. So we're tapping into a good deal of our depth. We had already tapped into our depth, you know, and, in addition to the back and forth game, you know, we've, we've done what we've done to this point in July. We're nearing our 100th game. And I think we've only had one starting pitcher with, with any meaningful, you know, the track record for major league service or one that existed beyond two years. So it's, uh, you know, we've, we've really exercised a full organizational, I, I guess we've tapped into our organizational depth to play to this point, I'm not sure that there's much more there that we can go tap into. We are headed into the trade deadline. We've not really separated ourselves in a meaningful way to, to be aggressive on the buying end, but you know, we are constantly trying to find ways to make ourselves better. And we'll use these next couple of weeks of July to, to consider those ways, whether it's, whether it's better to, to make a push for the 23 season or to better situate ourselves for 24. So when I hear you say that, it, it, what I hear you saying, and maybe I'm wrong, is that selling in some fashion is not off the table. No, and it never has been. You know, I, I think in, in when you've asked that question in the past, I've always tried to answer it as, as honestly as I can. We are always, you know, one foot in camp of buyer and one foot in the camp of the seller, believing that the best way to approach any trade deadline is with the mindset of how do we make the Mariners better? And and that's a it's a broad question that can be answered in a lot of ways. So, you know, in years past we've done a little of both. Last year we were very aggressive in in the trade market for what what I would call, you know, the big fish, you know, and we were able to land Luis Castillo. Now, this year we're probably not going to be in that market. We're going to be more in the the margins market or trying to find a way that we can get a little bit better in 23 and and better situate ourselves for 24 because one way or the other, we've learned a lot this, uh, the first half of this season. And, and I think it's, it goes, there's a, there's a public narrative to, to our offensive team. And there's the actual, and the actual is we're about an average major league offense by most advanced metrics. And we need to find a way to be better than average. And, 
you know, in order to do that, we can tap into a lot of different avenues. And uh, some of it's going to come from our system. Some of it's going to come from outside and it has to. And maybe that starts now. So what does what does that mean? You know, how what are the differences there between sort of the public narrative and, you know, what you're seeing in advanced metrics that that leads you to say it's a, it's average? Uh, we've hovered right around a, a 100 WRC plus or OPS plus for most of the year, at least most of these last three months. That is average. You know, we do it in a slightly different way than is, you know, I guess, pleasing to to most onlookers. We don't hit for a high average. We are roughly 15th in the league in runs scored. We are roughly 15th in the league in, in home runs. We are we are in the top 10 in the league in, in walk percentage. And, you know, the area that drags us down is the contact. Believe it or not, we are 15th in the league in hitting with runners in scoring position. <laughs> it's a, but the when we're watching it, I think the expectations around this team were that we should have already won our 110th game. You know, Luis Castillo should have already qualified for the Cy Young. Julio should have already joined the 50-50 club. And, you know, and win two, lose two creates this mad frustration. It's a very average offensive team, and we have to find a way to become better than average. And uh, it's it's going to take some – it's going to require some creative moves because we don't have – uh, a next wave of bats at AAA ready to come and, and push us over that edge. And we need our young players to, to step forward, moving forward. And, and we're probably going to need to address something from outside as well. So I wonder whether some of that affects the like the mentality in the in the clubhouse. If if there if that public narrative exists versus some of what you see in the advanced metrics, how do the guys handle that? Because I watch, you know, the two guys get thrown out at home plate the other day, and I, I wonder at least whether or not that stems from a desire to be more aggressive or a lack of faith that they're going to be driven in from third base or whatever the case may be. How much do they seem to understand some of those differences, if that makes sense? Uh, you know, I think they understand them. I think that's why the mistakes happen. And, and you know, there's it's you play tight. You're trying to deliver. You're trying to tell, you know, a different story than what happened last night, you know, in a, in a game where we were you know on the, on the wrong side of it. And the players feel that pressure. You know, they, they, they really do. And I don't think it's a it's a lack of belief in the fact that the next hitter up is going to drive you in at all. You know, it's a, it's an area where you are trying to do more than you're capable. And I, I know it sounds like a broken record through the weeks and saying this, when you are trying to do more than you are capable, you are almost always going to do less. <laughs> and, and yet every time as competitors, we get in that situation and we want to please, we want to please people. We want to please fans. We want to please coaches. And, and you go out and you push yourself beyond, or you try to do a little more than you're capable or in that moment, you know, when it's on the line, you squeeze the bat a little bit harder, or, you know, you're guessing, boy, he threw me two sliders in a row. I'm going to sit on the slider. Boom. There's the fastball and the game's over. And, and I know that's the, you know, that's what we've watched throughout the course of the year. We have a good, talented team that just hasn't played up to its standards. And, and I think we've been chasing it for months now with, with a group that is trying to live up to the expectations that we all had of, of ourselves and that, the, and that our fan base and, and the, the surrounding public had for us. And we just haven't done well managing that. And then we've allowed the, the stress of that to weigh us down. 
You, you mentioned some of the young pitchers this year, and and Brian Wu, uh, we know, is going to be limited at some point just because of some of the previous injuries. Do we have a sense as to how many starts he has left? Uh, you know, he'll pitch through the end of the year. Health, you know, health you know, cooperating with with us, but you know, there may be a time, and and it could happen uh, come mid August where we stretch our rotation out to a sixth starter. There is the potential of, of using the combination of off days, which start to get a little bit more common in mid-August to the end of the year, off days and spot starts to, to be able to skip them. But, you know, like we did a year ago with George and, and like we did the year before with Logan, you know, our, our general plan is to make sure that these guys have the, the experience of pitching through a long season, not just reaching a start that a, you know, a start number and innings total and shutting them down. We'd rather be creative and getting to the end so that they experience a six-month season because that's the mm-hmm. bigger weight to carry moving forward. Do you think Marco returns? Do we have an update on where Marco's at? Uh, no real update. You know, Marco is, is still uh, he's still not in a throwing program, so impossible yet to tell, you know, when or if he'll be back. Minimally, it, you know, it's it, it will take weeks, not days, for him to, to get back into, you know, a a throwing program and build up the innings to be able to contribute. So, you know, the clock's ticking and hopefully we'll get an update today. That is uh that is a, a positive one, but I can't really give you any update beyond he's still not in the throwing program. We don't have a timeline for his return. I think about what you said there about trying to be creative and, and, and needing to, you know, get your offense above average. And it makes me wonder, and I don't, not sure exactly how to ask this question or how you can answer it, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Has this year changed your view at all of some of the sort of core pieces that you had been counting on as opposed to peripheral pieces? No, not at all. I, there's, and when you say core pieces, I look at our, the team on the field. And I, I said it a moment ago, we have, we have good players. And, and in some cases we have good players who are not playing you know, up to their capabilities or potential. And in other cases, we have players who are still evolving. You know, it's a, it, it's, there is an expectation that is attached to some of our young guys, to Julio, to Jared Kelnick, to Cal Raleigh, some of our young pitchers. These guys are Brian Wu, Bryce Miller. Right? There are a lot of young, evolving major league players. And, and to think that there wouldn't be bumps in the road for these guys would have been foolish. And, uh, you know, some of, of the struggle that, that we have had is simply on me. You know, I didn't do a good enough job of building a group around that, that, that core to, to support the bumps and the bruises. And, and, you know, that's played out I, that there's now we are four clean months into the season. And, and that's been a real, you know, hole for us throughout the season. And, and we have to figure out how to get better there. And, you know, I do think that we need to, to add to that core. We need to extend what that core looks like. It is fun to see some of our veteran players start to show, you know, Gino has been on a nice little heater since the, the break. He's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, you know, and he looks more like, Eugenio Suarez and you know that's a positive sign I do think that we've seen some ups and downs from those that young group but that's almost to be expected and you know we we need the stability from our veterans and that's where we've just fallen a little short this year is the combination of you know evolving young players who at times have wobbled and veterans who have generally not been quite what they've always been and and that's a that's a and I, and I say that 
and I want to throw a, the 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 bulk of the the praise for this team has been about the pitching. But we've we have also seen you know some really good runs that are almost always supported by one hot bat and what has been a very consistent JT Crawford. So you know there's there's still a lot to love about our team and. You know, but you can't really look back at the last four months and see, wow, I've loved the way this has gone. It's it's been a struggle. Yeah. Brock and I got into a into a conversation, I think it was yesterday, about the importance of stars, not just in baseball. We we're kind of talking about it more across sports and in the modern day in general. Um, as as being a star is probably different than it was ten, twenty, thirty, fifty years ago, depending on how you look at it. What is what do you think is the importance or value of stars in the modern day game to building a roster? Uh, I mean, stars stars help because stars are stars because they have talent <laughs> and talent drives. And you know, I, I I do think that there is a you know we have players with we have a handful of pitchers who are stars who frankly don't get the notoriety of stars. And you know, I know there's a uh, again, public narrative. Luis Castillo is, you know, top ten in the league in ERA, top ten in the league in strikeouts. He's a three-time All Star. I don't know that, it, that that he would be considered a star. I'm not sure you can be much better than George Kirby. And you know, his last start accepting his consistency, the stuff. You know, he's he's got that kind of quality. I think. You know, obviously Julio has an element of celebrity and big talent and and star power. You know, there's those players in a moment give you, you know, they they buoy your lineup, they buoy your rotation, and they buoy your season to to the point where, you know, it's when it starts to get on a bad roll, they're typically the ones who stop it and start moving it in the other direction. And, you know, there's our stars on the mound have generally been positive in doing that. And, you know, we we need to continue to develop the group around, you know, the 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 more I guess celebrated players, and I think there are more in our system who have a chance to to play on that tier. But you know, games are won and lost by depth. It's a as stars in the NBA make games happen. They make championships happen. You know, a star player in the NHL can separate you in in the postseason. In Major League Baseball, a star is is an attraction. It's a star power, and it stops a ball from rolling in the wrong direction. But it's such a team game. It's a it's in that way. I can't even you know stress how important it is to make use of your entire roster. And some of the better teams that you'll see you know over the course of time, it, it's it's built on every position that you look at. You're like, wow, that guy's a better player than I thought. Wow, he was a better player than I thought. And then all of a sudden, there's 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 a sprinkling of an ace and a and a, and a real attraction in the middle of the lineup but that's that's how you win in baseball is one through 26 and and the stars just help you stop the ball from rolling just as an aside i'm watching that kid last night duran pitch for for minnesota what are we doing like what what what, he's throwing 105 miles an hour jerry what how does anybody get a hit off of that uh it was certainly deflating thinking (laughs) man i don't know how you do it and it's uh and to, it's 105 and it's not even his best pitch. <laughs> it's is what's scary, you know that 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 splitter or splunker, whatever it is that he throws, that's almost 100 miles an hour and moves in a different direction each time is is just nasty 
uh, on a different level. But uh, pitching has evolved to such an extent. And I, I think I, I don't know this is accurate today, but I think the, the batting average in, in the American League today is 248 or in the big leagues is 248. I, and I and I think people look at a 248 hitter like, oh, what's wrong with so and so? 248 in our league right now is average. It's really hard to hit when guys look like John Durant. He's that's and when guys look like Andres Munoz and Paul Sewald and, and and George Kirby and Luis Castillo. It's it's amazing what's come out of 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 pitchers' hands in recent years, and and the evolution of pitching has really made playing offense so much more. It needs to be more strategic, and that those are some of the lessons we've learned. It's you know the the it's you're always going to be able to draw a walk. You're always going to be able to to manage an at bat. You're always going to be able to choose which pitch that you swing at. But it's becoming harder and harder to to put balls in play, <laughs> and you know I think the we're seeing a better version of the game today than we've seen in recent years due to rules changes. You know, again, public narrative versus reality. You know, our run scoring per game is up almost a half a run this this year over last year, year over year, and and uh, that's from last year at the trade deadline to this. Our offense has actually gotten better, but you'd never know it because it is it is so hard to consistently have traction when you're facing guys like this every night. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I understand that you know members of the public or media or whomever can certainly you know run a little wild with with narratives, but it is it is hard to also at the same time sort of ignore the eye test. And you know, we're sitting here as you said, almost a hundred games in, and seeing Texas start to kind of pull away a little. I hear the frustration in your voice. I know you sense the frustration in in the fans and everybody else who's been kind of watching the team this year. I'm not even sure what my question is, Jerry, other than to just sort of say, what happens next? (laughs) Yeah, no, and you say it, and I think, you know, the question is, I'm not criticizing, you know, the eye test. I've seen it too, and and every Thursday I get on with you and tell you, I see it too. (laughs) I what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to defend the fact that there's our club is not rolling out there and, and rolling over. They are playing like a mediocre baseball team. And that's, you know, right now that appears to have been our four month fate. And, you know, what comes next is we flip the script and like last week, like the week before, like every week that I've come out and talked to you since we've experienced these struggles, that's going to happen with our young players taking the step forward. It's going to happen when players with real track records start finding some traction. And it's got to be more than one at a time. You know, leading into the break, we had a couple of hot hitters and we won seven out of ten. That's we that's the thing is having more than one hot hitter. It's coming out of the break, Gino's swinging the bat pretty well. Not not a lot going on up and down the lineup otherwise, really. And again, JP's been as consistent as, as all get out. So we, we have to figure out how to get multiple hitters moving in the same direction to score runs. And and here, you know, new element to to bring to the table. We have to get back to doing what we do on the on the pitchers now and getting ahead of hitters and, and being efficient in our pitch counts to get deeper in games. 
Jerry, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, it seems to just be remarkable how many Wednesdays this team has managed to lose right before we have some of these conversations. But appreciate you coming on and joining us. And uh, we got a day game today. Kirby on the mound. Beautiful day at T-Mobile Park. And uh, try to uh, you know split this series and then on to Toronto this weekend. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. You got it, man. All right, there you go. There's Jerry DePoto. Uh, there's a lot in there, and you know, I hear some of the, you know, look, it's frustrating. You hear, you can hear it in Jerry's voice. He's not wild about what his team is doing. You know, I, I see that some of the, you know, the, are they an average offense? I don't know, man. I don't know that I can say that. I, I think that the eye test certainly tells us that they're not, but it's it's beyond that, right? I mean, you know, maybe you got to adjust for park factor, and that changes things a little bit as well, but. You know, Luke Arkins texted me or tweeting here that, you know, they're 17th in runs scored. Yes, that's near average, but 25th and on base percentage, 24th in slugging. I mean, you know, that's their 19th in WRC plus, which is, you know, near that 15th mark that Jerry's talking about. But they're a little below average. Look, I don't think they're the worst offense in the league, which is where they kind of get, you know, narratived out to. They're not. They're not the worst offense in the league, but they're a below average offense. I think we could probably say that's that's a, a good description. They are not quite an average offense. And they needed to be at least average this year, if not better, given the pitching that they've had. That, that to me, is the long and short of it. All that being said, everyone's going to take something different away from what they heard from Jerry DePoto, and I thought there was a lot in there. There was one word that stood out to me above any other, and I'll tell you what that is next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710, salesports.com.